0: How can I get my team to go faster? Well, it's the wrong question. The question is, how can I make sure my team is going as fast as it can, but in the right direction? In fact, you can't get your team to go faster than they're going to go. And in fact, most teams are not the fastest, and yet you really need them to produce value. So what do you actually have control of if you don't have control over their speed as a product manager? And the answer is that you can get them to work as fast as they can on something valuable. If your competitors are speeding down the wrong road in a Corvette, your team, in its Nova, can still get to the destination faster. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, Episode 325. In this podcast, we answer the questions I and others have about the realities of product management, product marketing, going to market, and innovation. I've been doing it for 25 years, and I've learned a few things, and I love to share them. If you have a question about product management, check out my episodes. I might have answered it already. And if I didn't, feel free to drop me a line, let me know, and I'll do an episode about your question. My goal for the podcast is to give you the best mental models, tools, techniques, and secrets to creating value in the world and delivering solutions to problems that need solving. I'm hoping these insights and approaches will up your game, accelerate your career, and help you get more value to market faster. This is episode number 325. Now the fact is that speed is meaningless if you're going the wrong direction. You know, your team realistically can only go as fast as it can go. And at any given time, they have a maximum velocity, which of course you don't really know anyway. Now they can get faster over time, Incrementally, by learning and improving their processes, and by the organization removing friction or adding lubricant to the processes. And I'll talk more about this later in the show, but it's really incremental. And trying to go faster than you really can go leads inevitably to failure. This can happen if you put too much work on the team. It's like trying to put 10 tons of bricks in your little Honda Civic. Your Civic is just going to break. And it can also happen if you insist on the team delivering faster than they can. This is trying to run your Honda Civic in an car race against really fast cars. Somebody's going to crash. The whole thing's going to fall apart really fast. That's kind of bummer news, right? There's so many ways to fail if you focus on speed. If you can't go faster, then this leaves what as the only lever you have to pull? And the answer is direction. In most cases, improving the direction has a lot more impact than increasing the speed. Now, what does direction mean? And what can you do about it? What actions can you take? Well, first of all, make sure you're explicit about how the features that you're asking the team to work on take the company in the right direction. That is, that they have value. But then you'd have to ask, well, what does it mean for something to be valuable? Now, the definition that I like to use is that the work is aligned with the strategy of the organization. Now, by strategy, I don't mean make more money. I mean something more specific than that. Every organization has a strategy of making more money. But there are lots of disagreements about what constitutes a strategy, but let's just say for now that it's something along the following lines. Here's an example of a strategy. Catch up with competitors who are offering much easier interactions. Otherwise, work on counteracting our competitors' gains. Improve our compliance posture. Grow our customer count in X, Y, and Z markets. Expand our offering in the financial services market. End 2020 with... 10 new technical partnerships that are enabling us to win deals we lost in 2019 and reduce our time to close by five days. That set of things right there makes up a strategy. It's not very detailed, but some of those are obviously and specifically product-related. Some could be addressed by product changes or process changes or both. So if we say that, for example, I have a strategy like that for my company, I know some specific named accounts we're gonna go after, I know what competitors are important, and I know the market segments we wanna get better in. So one simple way to determine the value of a feature is to determine how much it contributes to one or more of those goals. I call this strategic prioritization because we're prioritizing based on our strategy. For everything I could ask the team to work on, I should be able to articulate how it aligns with the strategy. Now this is true for any feature and some features are going to not align very well with that, and some features are going to align well. The first thing I'm going to try to do when I have this strategic approach to prioritization is I'm going to try to not do things that aren't valuable. In other words, my first job is to deflect features that aren't aligned with that strategy in the first place. And this is the easy part of the biggest part of the product manager's job is saying no concept. Right? You've probably heard that before. Steve Jobs said the biggest thing he has to do or had to do was to say no a lot. And, of course, it's pretty easy to say no to things that are not aligned with the strategy. The next part is the hard part. The problem is that after I've aligned everything with the strategy and i found the five features that are best aligned, I probably still have to choose between them because I may not be able to do all five. I can only do one. So the second part of my job is to choose between those five things, five things that are all highly aligned with the strategy, but which we can only do one of. I have to determine which one we should work on, and then... I have to be able to justify that decision in a persuasive way to management and to the team and to everybody else. And this is actually the hard part of the biggest part of a product manager's job is saying no. So how do you make those decisions? Well, you might want to refer back to my article or my episode on six prioritization tips for product managers, which I have a link to in the show notes. To summarize how do I make sure the team is going the right direction no matter their speed? Well, I make sure that the things they're working on are aligned with the strategy, and I make sure the things they're working on are the best use of their resources right now. Those are essentially the same thing. So here's a few rules you can use to help you achieve that. First of all, for everything you're asking the team to build, make sure you can clearly articulate both to the team as well as up to execs and across the rest of the organization why that's the best use of your team's time. Second, do the persuasion work to make sure the executives are on board with your decisions. This is tricky, but the point here is that you have to use persuasion skills to achieve this. I've talked in other podcast episodes about persuasion, and this is going to be one of your biggest challenges. Persuading executives that their pet feature, even if aligned, is not as good a choice for implementing as the thing you chose. In fact, your goal is to have them say, hmm, yes, I see what you mean. I think you're right, and my feature is not as good a choice at the moment. Third, you might consider using a rubric like the valuable rubric, which I have a podcast episode about in episode 316. You might use a rubric like that to communicate with your team and the rest of the stakeholders. It's designed to help you communicate the value, the alignment, and the success criteria for your features. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, what about speed, though? The best way to get your team delivering value faster is to make sure it's delivering the right features. Speed is useless if it's pointed in the wrong direction. But I also mentioned at the beginning that the team can get faster over time incrementally. And I said I'd talk more about that. And of course, even though I'm talking about helping your team get faster, this is really something the team itself needs to do for itself, even if you're providing a bit of guidance. So let's say that you could get your team to be faster. What are the benefits? What's the outcome of that? If we start out assuming that our team is, on average, just as fast as any other team out there, i.e. that our competitors are facing the same speed problems we are, then if we can get a little bit faster, that may have a big payoff. The metaphor here to think about is racing, or really any kind of sport. On average, if you're a little bit better than your competitors, you'll have a better winning percentage. Think about bike racers. The fastest bike racer in the world can't win against an old beat-up Honda Civic in any kind of race, but the fastest bike racer consistently beats other fast bike racers, but often only by inches, and it's kind of like the old joke about two hikers meeting a bear in the woods. One stops to take off his hiking boots and put on his running shoes. The other one asks, what are you doing? You know you can't outrun the bear, don't you? And the first guy says, I know, but I don't need to outrun the bear. I only need to outrun you. In a competitive situation." what you really need to worry about is not absolute speed, but speed relative to your competitors. And you don't need much of an advantage to shift the win-loss record significantly in your favor. Now, this suggests changing our thinking to not how to make our team really fast, but how to make it a little bit faster than it currently is, and maybe as a result, a little bit faster than the competitors' teams. I'm obviously speaking a bit metaphorically here, Our teams don't really compete directly with our competitors' teams, and there are a lot of other factors going into win-loss, but the idea of consistently getting a little bit better over time is a very powerful concept. How does the team get faster? In fact, what does it even mean for the team to be faster? Does it mean they can type faster so the code comes out faster? Well, I don't think that's going to actually be a very good metric. So instead, here's a few potential goals for improved speed in your team's ability to deliver. First of all, they could deliver the same thing, but a little faster. So this is just strictly higher speed. Definitely a good definition of faster. It makes total sense. And there are actually a lot of ways to get incremental improvements. They're mostly about improving the system rather than in the individuals. But things like reducing build times, increasing automation, making sure that supporting systems are always available instead of down two days out of seven, as actually happens in some companies I've worked with. Another way to get faster is instead of delivering the same thing in less time, they deliver something of higher value, but in the same time. That is, the team gets better at problem solving and design. Their solutions to the problems that we present to them, in other words, their ability to create great features is higher, and so we create higher quality or higher value products, meaning to the customer, of course, our competitive position is better. So that's another way for the team to get faster, just to get more skilled at delivering value. They may deliver it in the same amount of time they did before. The third thing, and this is sort of the holy grail, is that they deliver 20% less, but they do that in 20% of the time. In other words, this is the 80-20 rule in action. If your team, in collaboration with you, becomes much better at determining the most important 80% of the feature, and then prioritizes that and gets it to market, in the 20% of the time that it takes to build the 80%, the idea is that 100% of the solution is often comprised of a very important 80% and a less important 20%, but that the final 20% often takes just as long to create as the most important 80%. The difficulty, of course, is figuring out which is the 80 and which is the 20 And a team that can build its skill in that determination means that they can get something valuable to market, the 80%, much, much faster than if they had to build the whole thing. Sometimes people try to do this and it doesn't work very well because they've made a wrong determination on what is the 80% versus the 20%. But if the team is skilled at that, it can be a very, very valuable competitive advantage. So what do all of these ways of getting faster have in common? Well, they're all the outcomes of learning and then applying that learning to improve. We do some work, we figure out what the bottlenecks in the system were, we figure out a way to remove or fix the bottlenecks, and we try that solution out. If the solution works, we keep doing it. If it doesn't work, we try something else. This is the same for getting better at problem solving and design. We look at our design and problem solving process, we say, hmm, I think there are ways we could do a better job here, let's try X. And then we try X, and if X works, we keep it, and if not, we try something else. Now, this process may be ringing some bells for you, It's exactly the process of a retrospective. And if you're familiar with Scrum methodologies and lots of methodologies, they include this concept of a retrospective. At the end of every increment, you, as a team, sit down and you ask a few questions of the team and try to do some learning. The questions are things like, well, what went well in this increment? What went badly? What should we try next to get an improvement? There's lots of techniques for doing retrospectives. I do have a podcast episode about it. It doesn't have a number. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But let's tie this back into the concept of going faster. First, the most important part of going faster is actually making sure you're going in the right direction. I already talked about that for a long time. That's the best way to start getting more value from your team right away. But once you're aligned, and actually you don't even have to wait for alignment, you then start making sure the team is also learning and applying what they learn. The only way for your team to get faster over time is for it to learn and apply its learning effectively. There's no shortcut or silver bullet. On the other hand, doing this learning is really powerful. Research shows, and I'll put some links in the show notes, that teams that do a good job with retrospectives or after-action reviews or debriefs, or whatever you want to call them, and apply what they learn can be up to 25% more effective over time than teams that don't practice retrospectives. So then you have to ask, what does 25% more effective mean for your business? Well, it might actually mean as much as 10 times more profits. It's pretty easy to make an argument that 25% more effective can quickly translate into 10 times the profits. The great thing about retrospectives is there are essentially no cost to the business. You don't have to hire more people. You just make sure the people you have do this one practice. They have to do it well, of course. So maybe there's a little extra bit of training to get them started. And then you start reaping the benefits. So no or very little additional cost, but the team is more effective. So let's say as a result, you win a few more competitive deals or you can start closing deals faster, and this results, let's say, in a 5% improvement in revenue, conservatively. It could be a lot more if you're consistently beating your competitors to market with higher quality and higher value products. So at my company, increasing revenue by 5% while keeping costs the same, that has a big impact on profit. I won't go into the details of the numbers, but I'll tell you the results. That's essentially $150 million in additional revenue at no additional cost. Because there was no additional cost, it all flows down to the bottom line. So that represents a 50% increase in profit over business as usual. And this is in a market where increasing profit 5 to 7% per year is normal. So this increases roughly 10 times expectations. So there's a factor of 10 improvement in profits according to one metric because we've become more effective by using retrospectives. My company is a big, successful, profitable company already. What if your company's not that profitable yet, or even unprofitable? Maybe it's a startup that hasn't quite hit that milestone of being really profitable every year, or maybe you're just a little bit profitable. At a startup that's making $100 million in revenue per year, with a net profit of $1 million, the addition of 5% of free revenue is much more significant. That multiplies the profit itself by five. So a factor of five improvement in profits. So let me just summarize all the points from this episode. First of all, direction is more important than speed. And direction means alignment with the organization's strategy. Now even once you've eliminated misaligned features, you still need to say no to valuable aligned features constantly and be able to justify those decisions. This is the hardest part of product management. Third, you can get faster incrementally by learning and applying what you learn via retrospectives. And fourth, marginal increases in revenue can have a very big impact on profits if they come at no cost. And this is the kind of math I suggest you learn to do in your head as a product manager. So I hope you found this discussion of how to make your team faster valuable. Obviously, I basically said, don't focus on making your team faster. In the show notes, you'll find links to the various articles and books and podcast episodes I mentioned. That's at alltheresponsibility.com 325. I have a few closing notes. I have a new cheat sheet on the website you might find valuable. It's a framework and a template for capturing the information for great customer success stories. This is about how your solution addressed a big important problem a customer had and how that resulted in their business and personal life being a lot better. I have all the questions you need to ask. I have a template for that. It's pretty useful. To access that, you can go to the show notes where there's a link, or you can simply go to alltheresponsibility.com stories, and that will take you directly to the access page. I also have a Patreon. If you like this podcast, and especially if you appreciate that it doesn't have ads, consider becoming a patron. You can donate what you like. Now, I've just started this, and of course, new members who join soon will get some special perks. Let's call them charter privileges. For example, the first 10 subscribers at the $50 a month level will get access to me, You can call me up. We'll schedule the call, of course, first, and chat about your product management challenges or whatever, once a month. At the moment, this would only be for charter subscribers. You'll also get everything I create, free tickets to all my courses when I create them, copies of my books, if you don't have my current book, I'll send it to you, free passes to my workshops, a discount on product management coaching, the price of which is about to go up a lot, and of course, you can be in my Facebook group, but you don't even have to pay for that. So these perks are for the first 10 people who sign up at the $50 a month Patreon level, and they're good for as long as you stay subscribed. Now, if you can't or don't want to swing $50 a month, then there's lower tiers as well. Donate anything per month, and you can send me questions to answer, have your name mentioned on the show, and of course, earn my undying gratitude and anything else I can think of. Donate $5 a month for three months, and I'll send you a paperback copy of my book. Keep at it for a year and another copy of my book or a copy of my next book, if and when that comes out. Generally, as you can tell, I'm still working on the Patreon perks, so if you have some ideas for me, drop me a line. And if you have questions you'd like me to answer on this podcast, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to leave me a comment in the show notes or drop me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com. This has been episode 325 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. And until the next episode, this is Nils Davis. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. show.